0: few weeks ago, I was lucky enough to attend the Brilliant Women in Digital Health Awards for 2023 in Melbourne, hosted by THT Plus members, Telstra Health. And it was such a great evening where leaders from across digital health came together in Sydney and Melbourne to celebrate outstanding achievements of nine exceptional women who've achieved excellence in contributions to digital health in the health and aged sectors. In this episode, I'm lucky enough to be joined by a number of These award recipients to learn more about their inspiring stories and the amazing work that they're doing in digital innovations in aged care, nutrition, health literacy, mental health and substance use, telehealth, virtual care, machine learning for medical imaging, eye care and so much more. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Join me in Amsterdam from the 17th to the 20th of June for Health Europe, the region's most important healthcare event. I'm so pumped I'm going to be there with over 3,500 delegates and speakers from around the world, including a big crew of Aussies as well. tell you what it's going to be a big week make sure you're there to catch me live on stage capturing insights from speakers and recording interviews for the beat by health so make sure you're there hunt me down and say g'day or hello or whatever we say in amsterdam if you've not got your ticket there's still time use the coupon code and the link in the show notes of this episode for your discounted ticket Sonica and Kate how are you? Great hey, thank you for having me. Hey, Amazing to be in the same virtual room with you only a week or so after attending the Brilliant Women in Digital Health Awards hosted by Telstra Health. I was in Melbourne I'm normally from Sydney but I uh, managed to sneak in and uh, fly under the radar and, and be in person there in Melbourne so um, it's great to have you here in this conversation today. Sonica, it'd be great to start with you and learn a little bit more about who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah sure um, thank you for having me first of all and yeah it was a great evening and I'm good to see you there as well. Uh, I am an associate professor at RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I do both uh, teaching and research over there. So from the teaching side, I teach subjects based on data science and artificial intelligence. And my research is in this space of computational biology and digital health. So here I deal with um, big uh, complex data that comes from uh Genetic side, which is the data on DNA, RNA, and protein uh, biomolecules, and on the health side, I get data from hospitals or general practice or even variables, and uh, the the objective of our research is to marry up this data from multiple sources and try and answer some questions. For example, you may have... uh, a known mutation, let's say for skin cancer, and then you marry this up with data for individuals, um, lifestyle or medical history or wellness, and then be able to predict some early risk for them. And that helps them, you know, prepare for any, you know, adverse uh, you know, situation later on and it may even be intervened early on and maybe avoided completely. So those are the kind of, you know, questions that we ask from from data.
0: Yeah. I love it. I'm very aligned with the conversations we have here on the, the podcast too, so we will, we'll probably dive into a little bit of that in this conversation. Kate, tell us a little bit about yourself. I love everything
2: that Sonica's doing. I think it's the future. Um, I started life training to be an ophthalmologist, and, um, which is an eye, eye doctor and eye surgeon, um, but became allergic to latex surgical gloves. And so that didn't work out quite the way we planned and um, ended up having this really wonderfully weavy path through health innovation. I worked uh, for McKinsey for a while, which was great because then I had a sort of business lens on the world, uh, which uh, I bridged with public health and and medicine so that um, I was part of starting the global health initiative at the World Economic Forum which was looking at the question, what should the business response be to AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria, the diseases of poverty um, at, at the time. Um, and then a whole bunch of other public-private partnerships around vaccines um, for the developing world. How do you get vaccines into the developing world at the same time as you get them into the developed world? Um, anti-vaccine, all sorts of different, different sort of topics where innovation, health, public-private partnerships came to play. But then uh, I came home to Australia and um, sat with our professor of ophthalmology um, who said, look, you know, there's all this brilliant diagnostic, digital diagnostic equipment, a brilliant digital equipment for monitoring eye disease, but we still correspond by letter and by fax. And if you take a beautiful image of the eye and the back of the eye is a beautiful thing Mm. and you stick it through a fax machine, you end up with a gray blob, which is exactly useless. And so we started talking about, surely we could do something better than a letter. And that became Oculo, which is a a digital clinical communication platform that links optometry, ophthalmology, primary care and, and beyond um that is now used across Australia and New Zealand, does various other things. But um then Oculo, that company that we co-founded uh with that professor of ophthalmology, Jonathan Croston, um, was acquired by a Finnish ophthalmic diagnostic company called EyeCare uh two and a half years ago. And so I am now the head of strategy for EyeCare globally. Amazing,
0: what a journey and that's uh it's interesting hearing those those twists and turns, and, and 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 it did remind me a little bit of hearing some of the uh, acceptance speeches, and also the, the the keynote and the motivational um, talk from Jess as well at the um, at the award ceremony last week. Hearing how you know you, you might go down one particular path, uh, and then ooh, whatever happens, it, uh, it takes you down another. And at the time, it may not make sense, but. Uh, I guess, leads you to where you are today, right?
2: Well, I think Jess was amazing um, to, to hear. And the but it really reinforced what I've always been told, which is you learn so much more from failure and adversity than you do from things mm. going right.
0: And Sonica as well, you know, hearing your acceptance speech as well. I've got to say, I think the air conditioning was turned up a little bit high. I think there was a few kind of watery eyes from my side, just uh, hearing some of the the, um, the words that people have shared. But it, it must mean a lot to you as well. Yeah, right?
1: yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um See, it's, it's always, you know, these uh, kind of opportunities are really, you know, where you you stop and, you know, think about your journey and reflect on, you know, where all you've been. And, you know, yeah, you know, thinking about all those failures and your efforts and, you know, perseverance and then leading to little or big successes. Uh, so it's, it's uh, definitely, you know, a great recognition for, you know, the work that me and my team have been doing over the years and also um you know i what i was talking about in my my speech as well that night uh, is that it's a great recognition for someone like me who's you know comes from a diverse background culturally linguistically I, i'm i wasn't born in australia i grew up in a non native english environment and then building a career uh in, in another country so it's been it's been quite a bit of journey and it's it's good to see that you know i was able to achieve whatever I have achieved so far so such awards and recognition um, makes me maybe a role model for someone else like, like me. And, and I think diversity is, is very, very important. And we do see that we, we, we do have a lot of scope to increase diversity in all tech fields you know, across all various uh, STEM areas. I'm very good Yeah, absolutely. Oh,
0: on that last point, I, I imagine too, you know, like we, we, we talk about, you know, in your, one of your areas of expertise being in, in the data side, if, if we don't have that diversity in, in that representation, even in the data set, so it's, it's the, the data is no good. And, and that concept, I guess, has to run all the way through healthcare. Uh,
1: absolutely. Um, so, if we develop something, uh, no, we, my, my research is all, all data driven and digital health is growing uh, at very, very fast pace and thanks to all the technological development in various areas, we have better compute, better storage, better algorithms. And now we can make sense of this data faster. But if if we don't have, if we have, you know, inherent bias in the way we are collecting the data or analyzing the data or even interpreting the data, and sometimes we have our own, you know, unconscious biases, because the way we grew up, we end up uh, we may end up, you know, interpreting the data a different way. So at all these different levels, I think all this, this awareness, first of all, is very, very important. And then we also need to put that into practice that when we are developing models, uh, we have rep- enough representation from the population that we are targeting it for. So, um, for example, if I'm developing a model to predict hypertension or high, high blood pressure, then uh, and I've collected data that only had like, you know, one percent of pregnant women in it, mm. then I can't generalize that you know blood pressure prediction for pregnant women because one, there's not enough representation, and, and as it is in pregnant women, the profile of blood pressure will be different than normal population. So it's very very important that you know we are aware of you know these these factors that can affect the, Such the a good analysis. Point. A critical.
3: Yeah. I think it's really interesting
2: too. Even I, I've just, I've just spent the last few days in a, an AI meeting. And it was, you know, again, all these meetings now that are all about chat GPT and, um, and so how the, the evidence base as it exists today is going to inform, you know, all of the yeah. AI of tomorrow, today basically. and um, But of course we know that the evidence base is based on clinical practice and clinical practice remains so often anecdotal. And so we're training it on the old biases um, and you know coming having trained as a as a doctor um uh, uh, you know the, the the training is still so anecdotal and not always evidence based and certainly uh, you know not personalized but that's how we want to use it is for that personalized medicine so i think we haven't figured out how to back solve the yeah. issue that sonica has absolutely out.
0: and so- something i was on a bit of a tangent but related i was thinking as as both yourself sonica and and kate were um, you know, reflecting on on some of the work that you do and the and the the problems you're looking to solve. You know, we we we're very quick to talk shop. You know, even when we're supposed to be speaking about you know celebrating um, some some wins and reflecting. I think that when we're so deep in solving problems, particularly coming from whether it be from a clinical or a scientific or a research background, you know, there's I'm going to hazard a guess and say there's there's if if you're not taking the opportunity to stop and reflect and look back and and perhaps see what you've done and 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 celebrate that, then you probably just continue on and move on to the next thing and, um, you don't really get that that full picture. Kate, is that um, am I kind of on the right path here?
2: No, it's so true. I think you know, uh, we always talk about mountains yeah. beyond mountains. Um, uh, which is a Haitian phrase, um, you know, where you, when you climb, you've, you've reached the top of a mountain and you can see the next one, you've earned the right to go forward. And one of my early investors in Norkilo, it's a lovely South African man by the name of Mark Kirkby, and he cited um, Nelson Mandela who said, yes, but when you get to the top of a a, a peak, you must stop and mm. look back so you remember how far you've come. And we are very bad at it because we're so busy and, and you know, juggling family lives, juggling our brilliant teams, juggling the next thing. And, um, you know, that moment to pause yeah. and to celebrate, it's, it's, it's very rare. And so it was very nice for Telstra Health to create that space. And I absolutely agree with Sonica that the hope that it also inspires um, because there are very few role models. Um, in digital health full stop and very few female role models. And, um, you know, part of my journey with Oculo was um, I was lucky enough to be in the Springboard Enterprises cohort. And Springboard is a group that started in the U.S. focusing on female founders um, and CEOs. And uh, they took us for a boot camp. Uh, brilliant, brilliant CEO of Springboard at the time, Amy Millen. And i remember sitting there saying how could you take me out of my business for a week like do you think i'm important but you know like how could you but um like, i was an idiot but um but the um but the thing was we spent an entire week hearing about the ceo she and the ceo she and after a week of that it yeah. was i felt so much better about everything i was doing um and 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 so inspired to know that there are so many women who are making such differences running great businesses running great organizations um and innovating um and and changing how how the world works no and absolutely and also um like these
1: events uh, have been really helpful in um building new networks like i met so many people the other night that i would not have ever met otherwise and then you there are lots of, you know, common links, common interests, and, you know, you can find other people to work with. Um, so, I think from networking point of view as well, I, I think these... Um, and I can only imagine very, very as
0: well, too, because I, I would think the same for, my, for myself, but it would be... Wh- when I hear, when I heard some of the acceptance speeches, a lot of the times it almost came from a place of, you know... Um, people still coming out and having these amazing stories and being able to reflect on such achievements and almost feeling like uh, either directly saying it or implying that they they kind of feel like they didn't like they were surprised or it's like they didn't quite feel like they belong on this stage when absolutely everyone you know like so um it, what, I, I feel like to your point it's it it, it it's not just yeah. being that that role model for others to be providing that that reassurance that everyone kind of, might have those feelings of whether it be imposter syndrome or not, not having access to all the resources that everyone would have to be able to to actually do some some meaningful things that actually have a real impact.
1: Yeah, no, no absolutely. Um, I, I even um, like last year, I was an uh, I was a finalist for Women in AI Awards, and I when the award um, you know advertisement came out, I never Oof. thought I should be nominating myself, and then I heard from like two other women who reached out to me and said like you should put your application in and I thought no I don't think I'm ready yet (laughs) but um, I'm glad that I did and I was one of the three finalists and it was a gala evening again but that evening was really you know an eye-opener for me like I met so many other amazing people working in the AI space and you just feel suddenly like so empowered I, I didn't win but I felt like a winner that evening and yeah and again this year uh yeah you know there were other women leaders at, at my university they're like no this, these, are, these are good opportunities think you should put application in so yeah and otherwise i would not have put myself forward for for a nomination for for such awards so, yeah, it's, it's good to build that community and, you know, get that support and, you know, yeah. uh, recognition or, you know, motivation to go for these things. Like, you have to win it to win it.
0: Absolutely. And if, so if, I, if I took one of your yeah. lines just then, uh, Sonica to, to, to kind of round out this conversation, and I'll put to both of you, but I'll go to Kate. What would you hope that, you know, the celebration of, of, of these um, recipients, including yourself, w- might might do. In particular, I think about, you know, Sonica's term of like, I, I'm I'm not ready yet for that. And I think a lot of people might might feel the same too, whether it be for putting themselves forward for an award or even for applying for a job or just put, doing anything. Uh, do, do, what, what advice would you kind of give to women, particularly in STEM or in digital health or where, wherever they might be, that, that might feel that they're not ready?
2: Well, I think there's so much evidence from all disciplines that women are you know slow to put themselves forward for a new role or a promotion or a pay rise or all of that um and you know similarly I was nominated by a, an amazing woman you know so I'm really grateful to other women inspiring and mentoring and encouraging um and one of the things i I sort of counsel people women when they're going for a job interview or or something is, you know, pretend that you're advocating for someone else. Um, Because sometimes that lets you get over that, you know, reticence. Um, But I think if you don't back yourself, nobody else is going to necessarily. So you just got to go for it and it's tough. and there is imposter syndrome, and you know in medicine, I always joke that you know the the perception of you is you're never even as good as your last exam and so you undervalue your accomplishments because you don't stop and pause and you don't put them in context you undervalue your skill set because you're so focused on the next thing and so that, that that is potentially rate limiting I think the other thing though is um, my dad always had the advice that if you wanted the next great job concentrate on doing a really good job in the job you're in and um and so i think there's also this sense of yes you need to keep your antennae out and so on but you also just need to be mindfully present with what you're doing day to day and looking for that opportunity to be true in yourself Mm. as you're doing it because then other things will follow not always justly but but i guess that's that's how i believe it.
1: Yeah, absolutely spot on, Kate. And if I could just add just two more points there. One is uh, that even if you're meeting half of the criteria, I think go for it. And sometimes you don't realize that, uh, you know, you don't keep count of all your, you know, achievements and successes and, you know, background that aligns with that award or whatever, you know, job requirement. But the questions that are asked sometimes make you think and explore all that information and put it all together in a way that, you know, then you start feeling, oh, actually, I w- my profile wasn't as bad as I was thinking. And once you prepare for one award or one job application, that helps you to just rehash this for, you know, other awards. So, you know, it's it's all that f- effort you go through for the first time. I think I think it's worth it.
2: I think, you know, this, this award is, and you mentioned this, Sonika, there's that, um, you know, it's, it's called brilliant women, but of course, all of us stood up and thanked our brilliant teams. And so it's an opportunity to be able to, you know, shine light on, on what on the amazing work that the team yeah. has done mm-hmm. i'm own. so
0: grateful that we could capture even mm-hmm. just a sliver of the inspiration and the 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 vibes that came from the evening last week both in sydney and melbourne from the awards and i know telstra health plan to to do these ongoing as well so i'd encourage anyone else to make sure they they um they put their names forward or participate or, or or um uh recommend someone for the awards or or and uh, if not attend uh, next year and, and be part of it because it because it is an inspiration. So, Sonica, Kate, I really appreciate you making the time to have a chat on the show. Thank you so much. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes, you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare 5 or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to TalkingHealthTech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Salma and Francis, how are you? Good. Excellent. Excellent. Great. Thank you so much. And uh, I guess one of the, um, uh, there's there's definite pros of having such uh wonderfully uh busy intelligent and amazing women that have done some great things in digital health but what that means sometimes is we we can't all be in the same place at once so i appreciate you also making time to chat with me as part of this broader episode about the great things that uh that you've done so i, I heard your um a, a little bit about what you do uh, when i attended the brilliant women digital health awards from telstra health a few weeks ago in melbourne and they happen in sydney too but it'd be great to hear from from yourselves now about uh about what you're up to francis can i start with you
4: well, I want to wake up in a world where every person has access to the the help that they need when they need it. And so, for me, my particular focus is mental health, and we need a lot of help in mental health because, as a community, we are not going all that well. Then you know, and COVID has exacerbated that. And so, my um, my time is really devoted towards how we can – developing digital and other technologies to help realise that dream, so to connect people with the help they need when they need it in a way that has meaning for them and also can empower them, I guess, teach themselves to be their own therapist. And so I develop, you know, digital apps and programs and things like that that target different mental health and alcohol and other drug use problems and really help people learn how to be their own therapist Without having to leave their house, which sometimes is really hard, um, or come and get a specialist appointment.
0: Yes, absolutely. I, w- I want to dive into that soon because such an important issue to solve, but tricky one with um, a lot of opportunities with technology, but but uh, challenges as well. Salmia, tell me a little bit about you.
3: Okay, so how interesting, Francis, to hear about your work in mental health because one of my recent projects actually is in the mental health uh, area, though I've not done a huge amount of work in that area. So I've been working for the last three years, in fact, just at the time that COVID kicked in with the Black Dog Institute, which is just next door here to the University of New South Wales in Kensington. Uh, I've been working with this uh, team of researchers led by Dr. Mark Larson, who uh, work the space of suicide prevention, right? That's a huge, huge, big space, of course. But uh, I came in particularly to help them out with uh, analysis of CCTV camera footage which is recorded in public or semi-public places for the purpose of uh, doing early warning, trying to come up with early warning of potential uh, dangerous um, self-harming behavior so that there is better chance that people could intervene and try and make sure that that dangerous behavior doesn't progress further into something even more dangerous. So that's roughly the space I've been working with them on for the last three years. Uh, But what's common between that project and lots of the other research we have been doing for uh, over a decade in my group is basically a lot of image analysis. So we deal with images, with videos, um, and also non-image data combined with image data to solve a number of problems in the clinical and medical space. So we work with physicians, with surgeons, metal health researchers, as I mentioned just now, right? But what's common to all of these projects is that we build up teams of uh, students, post-do- uh, post-doctoral researchers, uh, working together with the clinicians and the physicians and the experts in the domain to help, and, to help them solve a problem that's yeah. of interest to them. Right? So, end of the day, they're all solving health issues, health problems, mm-hmm. but we are the ones uh, who try and provide a technical focus and try and uh, you know, keep everybody honest in terms of adherence to the data and getting the best that we yeah. can get out
0: of the data. So good. And what I love, you know, particularly about the the work you're both doing and, and others that were um, uh, acknowledged with the awards and just generally within the ecosystem. There's, you know, I've, I find there's a lot of solutions, particularly whether it be in the software or technical side within healthcare, that all, all all have good intentions and perhaps come from, whether it be from Uh, someone's own lived experiences or just generally from feedback or or even gut feeling community but what what we need in healthcare i feel like is um you know the solutions that come from a basis of evidence that that you know you've both kind of alluded to as well so so you know francis from from the work that that you're doing it's great that um at least a a little bit of light can be on on the examples that that you're providing within uh this space does that kind of message resonate with you It strongly
4: resonates with me and that's why I'm so passionate about research in the evidence base uh, because we can't just assume that these new technologies or these new ways of interacting or seeking treatment for mental health problems actually work in the same way that face-to-face and traditional um, means have. So just because something's new and exciting and accessible doesn't mean that it works. And that's where the research comes in. And if we can do the research, and that's what we've all been doing to try to to build that evidence base, it then um, creates that trust and the confidence in in the public to use and integrate these technologies in a safe way. And so for many, many reasons, that message resonates with me entirely. And you've just, you know, spoken to my heart or my passion about why research is so important alongside uh, all these exciting I developments. Sound right? so-
3: um about Evidence is all about what we do, right? So we really need to be guided and driven by the evidence, which comes from the data, but also comes from confirmation from the domain experts. So whether you are clinicians or mental health researchers or what have you right so we have access to a lot of data as we know the world is awash in data right but the issue is how much of that is trustable how much of it is uh, clean within quotes how much of it is actually usable for building real products right that's that's a big question and the second part of data of course is um, who tells us which data is useful and which is not useful that has to be the domain experts right it's not the computer scientists it's not the ones who are developing the apps or the programs or the algorithms so we don't know a lot about the uh, application domain and that information has to come from from the experts so a big part of what we do is working hand in hand with the experts and try and see if we can get into their workflow. Whatever we develop should really fit into their daily workflow. If we try and uh, develop things which require additional effort and additional time and even additional data on top of what they normally collect, it's not going to work. It might work for a short term, but in the long term, it's just not going to work at all. So a lot of the challenge that we face is, yes, there's lots of data, but how much of it is useful, get the right advice for that but also try and make sure that anything we do is something that can be easily embedded and woven into what the experts do in their day-to-day life. So working with Tunisians directly is really important to us.
2: I'm wondering
4: if I can jump in there because that's what I really walked away with um, from the awards night uh, um, just recently. And that is that the style of leadership that was being recognised with these awards is exactly what we need um, in this field and uh, to make the most and realise the potential that the digital you know, technologies have to offer. And, and that is that real collaboration. That real teamwork approach and that common purpose to really help people, and uh, and so again, that's what I saw recognised in um, you know in the award winners. So I'm hearing from Salva's um, chat now. It's all about how we come together uh, across all of our areas of expertise and realise this potential together for our community. And I'd love to say that that my experience of particularly brilliant women has been that's the style of leadership that they bring um to to teams and to and to challenges and problems, like we're all talking about.
0: And that's what really excites me about this award um, and this award series. You know, as Salma pointed out, that in order for us to um create you know these these evidence-based solutions that that can be be trusted, because they need that evidence to be trusted by used by the, the end users, we we need to build that. The trust and relationship with the 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 whichever stakeholders are are inputting the data, I guess, to be able to use the thing in the first place, which then gives us a a credible base to build on. So, there's some common threads that run throughout the um the process, and no no matter how large or or grandiose the solution is, in the end, it comes back in in such a human centered like um area for us to work in in terms of healthcare. Some of these principles are, are so important and and like you say francis those those fundamentals were kind of threaded throughout the conversations that were happening in the celebration at the um at the awards a couple of weeks ago
4: they they sure were, and I, I so I loved hearing about it. I reckon, Sarah, you and I could have a chat for hours and hours more. But so we would bore all the listeners, I'm sure. But um, but also we've got to make sure that that connection to the person that we're trying to work with and, and help is so important because we might be developing solutions that they don't need or they don't want. And so it is that human connection that's always going to be important in any in- innovation. But I think particularly is um, in this digital world that we're in.
3: Yeah. So uh, Francis, I agree with all that you're saying. And particularly working in the university context, this is where we are training our students, our future workforce, our future researchers, right? So these, the, so these are the uh, these are these are the personnel who really need to be provided the right direction as well as the right opportunities and the environment to, to do their best, right? And it's it's, it's actually going to work uh, work to their favor to try and give them the motivation to stick to the field, right? And uh, if we make that uh, process as smooth as possible, and make the right connections for them, and also provide them the right inspiration coming out from the end users, uh, from the uh, the uh, patients who benefit out of the research, but also the yeah. clinicians who are actually going to use the products. Right? So because we 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 position ourselves as assisting the clinicians do their job much more effectively and in a more convenient fashion, given yeah. this inundation of data that we have all around us. So so we are not trying by any means to try to replace what the physician is doing, but we are working hand in hand with them to try and provide them the best possible assistance. And uh, that's part of the purpose of the university, try and uh, educate our students, but also make them see the big picture so that they know what they are working toward. Maybe it'll take 10 years, 20 years, not all products, uh, you know, appear instantly on the scene, you know, so we do take a long-term view, and that's the hardest to do, I think, in a fast-moving area like IT, you know. So everybody's got an app, everybody's got the phone, they've got their uh, laptops around with them, and people can do yeah. lots of really cool things very, very fast today, right? But we are actually looking into the future, what what's going to be in demand and what's going to be vital in the next five years or 10 years or even longer than that, right? So that's the business we are in. And it's uh, that that's what makes our life, I think, really exciting. Our work life here in the university really exciting that we're working with lots of, you know, bright minds, right? just like the bright, you know, the brilliant women that Telstra is rewarding. But really, it's all about also a brilliant students, a brilliant uh, collaborators,
0: you know, if everything's going well in the in the work that you're doing and you're really clear on the vision and the, you know, funding's landed and, and there's a few kind of boxes that get ticked. You don't need too much external motivation and, and to be reminded of what you're doing and why. It's the, you know, th- those things only happen every now and then, From at least from my own experience. It's all the other times that, you know, things are not necessarily aren't going your way. It's just that maybe when it's not clear or it's just not aligned with all the other kind of bits and pieces happening within your life and that that's when you need that, that uh reminder i guess on on what you're doing and why i guess to to round out the conversation i'll give you both an opportunity to reflect because i'd love your thoughts on like the for those that might be listening or that that uh, are in it you know that the brilliant women that are out there that that don't get get to go to an awards ceremony just yet any advice or at least things to to remind in those times that it uh, either might be difficult or just not overly clear on like what you're doing and why and how to kind of keep that path and have a meaningful impact for instance.
3: Yeah. So I would say, please keep in mind that, you know, the award is not just for a handful of brilliant women. It's for all the other brilliant men and women uh, and students and collaborators, you know, who are behind the scene and who are who made this possible, made all these achievements and all these uh, developments possible. And as I've, I've been saying tongue-in-cheek to number of people who are congratulating me, right? So I say it's not quite the Nobel Prize, but it's somewhat like, it's somewhat like the Nobel Prize because, you know, today, almost no research. I mean, all the Nobel Prize winners, almost um, nobody really wins it just based on solo work. There's a huge lab behind them and decades of work behind them, you know, consisting of maybe even dozens, if not hundreds of people behind them. And many of them do say in their acceptance speeches, you know, they thank their whole lab, right? It's not just an individual's work. So I think that's what I would tell uh the potential brilliant women out there. Please remember that you're joining a whole team, a whole group of uh you know, brilliant researchers all over the world. And, you know, welcome and come along and contribute.
4: That that came through on the night didn't it? Um, did Samura was that we you know everyone got up and said, Well, I feel a bit silly receiving this award because i am only one of a you know, multitude in the in a team who's contributed to this incredible outcome and so um i encourage people to think about you know how they contribute in their team um, but for me, it's a, it is a rocky road. It's also, so don't um, assume that for, for either of us or for any of us that we've uh, or only ever had success. We tend over to talk about success, but, uh, you know, catch me on a Friday afternoon on when our grant outcomes and things have come out and uh, it's not gone my way and I'm not talking about success then because I'm a sore loser as well because I'm just so passionate, you know, we're so passionate about what we do and how we do it. And so for me, the, the bit of advice that I, if I could give my younger self, much younger self or others out there, is to just understand what your purpose is and, and to, to connect to that purpose. And, and that purpose will not be about winning an award or a Nobel Prize. or you know, I won't say no if that ever comes along, but, you know, it's. It's actually bigger than an accolade or a metric um, or a grant result. And if you can make sure that the work you do and the people that you surround yourself with help you stay connected to that purpose, then I think you are a brilliant winner every bloody day no matter what the outcomes are because we can't control those out. We can't control grant outcomes, award outcomes, all of those sorts of things, but we can control um, what we are passionate about and how we kind of show up in an authentic way for our jobs. And if we can be that sort of person, like that's the sort of person I want my kids to see um, and I hope we'll be able to find that as brilliant. And so that's my bit of advice is to,
0: to to think about and stay connected to the things that are bigger than the awards. What a great way to round out this conversation. It's such an important message to leave on. I appreciate everything that you've done and the time that you've taken to, to come and have a chat on the show and share those experiences. Thank you so much. Thank you so
4: thank much. Thank you for it's, just, it's lovely to stop and reflect. It really is. So thank you.
0: Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks And I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.